Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Okay, so we're going to go... We're going to go ahead and get started with our uh, topic here this afternoon. It's learning breathing mindfulness meditation. You guys have already done two sessions with me where I've guided you guys, but now I'm going to go through and teach you piece by piece. And having had that experience of two meditations, now you'll be able to even understand this better now, having had that experience. So first, let me just share with you guys what meditation is, because Different people have different definition of what meditation is. And when I say meditation, at least you'll know how I define it. You may or may not agree with how I'm defining it, but at least you'll know what I'm talking about when I describe meditation. Meditation is this dedicated, active, purposeful training session where you're either working to eliminate unwholesome qualities or cultivate certain wholesome qualities in the mind. And you're doing this in the positions of seated, lying, standing, or walking. So you're practicing an independent, dedicated, purposeful training session. We're either eliminating certain unwholesome qualities or cultivating certain wholesome qualities from the positions of seated, lying, standing, or walking. So just like I describe what meditation is, it's also important to understand what meditation isn't as well. Meditation isn't exercising or walking the dog or gardening or driving. Sometimes people might say, I'm going to go for a drive and meditate, or I'm going to go to the gym and meditate, or I'm going to go walk the dog and meditate. Well, if you walk the dog two or three times a day for 30 minutes or more, as I recommend, and you thought that's what it takes to get to enlightenment, then you're not actually going to be able to experience those improved qualities of mind that the Buddha teaches. So those things are wonderful. They're helpful for you. Maybe you enjoy doing those types of things. So go do those things, but just don't think of them as meditation. Even though you'll hear other people say, I'm going to go for a jog and meditate, or I'm going to go take a drive in the car and meditate. Okay. If that's what they say, that's up to them. But at least you understand understand what meditation is, this dedicated, active, purposeful training session to eliminate certain unwholesome qualities and cultivate certain wholesome qualities. And then another thing to understand is that it's important to have a meditation teacher as you're learning and practicing meditation. As you guys heard yesterday, only a Buddha would be able to get to enlightenment by themselves without the help of any teachers or any guides. So you're going to need a teacher because you're going to need to reach out to somebody occasionally and have a conversation here or there. Based on things that are going on in your meditation practice, you're going to be curious. Is this normal? Should I do something differently here? This is what I'm experiencing. There was a particular student that contacted me after they had tried to do some meditation on their own for about two years. They were a doctor and they were a practicing physician and they had tried to do this awakening to enlightenment on their own. And after about two years, they ran into all kinds of problems and they ended up contacting me. This person was highly depressed. They were sleeping 23 hours a day. 
They had suicidal thoughts. They couldn't go to work any longer. Their whole life deteriorated because they were trying to awaken their mind on their own without the help of any teachers or any guys, just by reading books, just by watching YouTube videos. They didn't have anybody to reach out to to get help. So he eventually came here to Thailand for a couple of weeks and I helped him here. And then as he was back home, I also helped him as well. Now he's doing just fine. He's back practicing medicine. and But he did lose a relationship. He had a fiance that he lost his relationship. And there was a about a four or five year period there that was very dark for him. I don't suspect that you will ever experience that because you have someone you can reach out to. You don't need to contact me every week or every month and tell me what's going on in your life, but just know that you can contact me at any point if you'd like, or if there's somebody else that you would like to be your meditation teacher, have that person be your teacher where you have a person that you can reach out to. Because if you have difficulties in your meditation practice, and if you reach out and say, hey, teacher, this is what's happening. And if what you get back from me is, yep, that's normal, keep going, everything's just fine. You'll have some confidence. You'll have some reassurance. So you just need to at least have somebody that you can reach out to from time to time. So it's important to have a teacher. There's four different positions that the Buddha taught to meditate in. You're going to be learning these here. And then tomorrow I'm going to be teaching you one of them as well. This is the seated, lying, standing, and walking positions. I'm going to share with you how I use these different positions. And then like I've taught you, don't believe what I'm sharing. I'm just sharing with you my experiences. You can learn that, then you can reflect on it, but then you can practice for yourself because you're going to need all of these four positions because your body can't permanently be in just one meditation position. Seated meditation, while that might be your go-to position, you're going to need these others at some point. So seated meditation is usually done on the floor or in a chair or something like this. You can do it on a bench, on a sofa. You can do it lots of different places. I've seen people meditating on boats before. You can sit anywhere and actually meditate. So this is usually like the primary position that people learn to meditate in. It's kind of like the go-to position. But as you're doing seated meditation, you might notice that you have aches and pains in the body at different times. And if that's what you're experiencing, lying meditation can be really good for you, where you lie on the floor, face up. If you've done yoga, they call this the resting pose or shavasana, where you just lay on your back, face up with your palms out. This can be really comfortable to relax all the muscles in the body. What you're doing with the mind is going to be exactly the same. It's just the body's in a different position to be able to rest and relax all the muscles. But in lying position, this can become challenging sometimes because you can be falling asleep and you might be having difficulties falling asleep. So this is where standing position and walking position comes in. So you can do standing where you don't fall asleep or walking. So standing is really good for that. Standing, I've also used it like I was at a bus stop at different times waiting for a bus and I knew it was going to be 10 or 15 minutes before a bus came and I could just stand there and meditate. It wasn't one of my two or three meditations. It was maybe just like a little touch-up meditation for five minutes here or there. So I would do a standing position. Or there were times where I would be like in a long line and this line doesn't move except for like every 15 minutes or every 20 minutes. It's one of those types of lines and I could just stand in line and do some meditation. Why not? Right? So you can do that with standing meditation. With walking meditation, this is really good if you have an overactive mind. Like if your last thing you're thinking about is sitting down to meditate, you just have too much energy, you can do walking meditation to kind of get that energy out. So if you have a lot of overactivity in your mind, tomorrow afternoon when I teach you walking meditation, this will be really helpful for you. And it's also good if you're noticing that you're falling asleep in your meditation. So these are the four different positions that you can use. Then the next thing that I'll share with you is 
how to start and conduct your meditation session. These are just some guidance to help you along in learning breathing mindfulness meditation. The first thing to think about is that the mind is the boss and the body is the employee. The reason why I share this is because it's helpful for you to understand that the mind is the thing that's controlling everything and the body is just following along. It's like the employee. So the mind is the boss, the body is the employee, but you got to go through the employee to get to the boss. So that's why you're putting the body in a position that's comfortable. You're not interested in your body being luxurious and you're not interested in it being painful. If you were sitting in meditation and all you experienced was pain, 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 it would be very challenging to eliminate certain unwholesome qualities and cultivate certain wholesome qualities. You can be in some places that someone might teach you to just breathe through the pain and allow the pain to be there. You know, this is unwise in my opinion. The Buddha already showed us that overcoming pain with the mind doesn't actually get you to enlightenment, that he hung himself upside down from trees, laid on beds of nails, he starved himself. So if you're sitting in meditation and your knee is really hurting, that's your body telling the boss, hey, make some different changes here, make some different decisions. You've got us in the position that we're uncomfortable, make some changes. So if you feel pain in the body, move and change your position. You can either adjust inside that one position that you're in, or you can just change to a completely different position. You might start for five minutes in a seated position, and then you notice like, hey, there's aches and pains here, and then you just lay back and go into a lying position. Or you might start in lying position, realize your mind is too overactive, and you switch to a walking position. So you can switch like this within the same meditation session. So don't just breathe through the pain, but also don't put the body in a position where it's luxurious either, right? If the body's too luxurious, it's not going to take you to go see the boss. It's going to be complacent and you might fall asleep during that period of time. So Think about the mind is the boss and the body is the employee, but you've got to go through this employee in order to get to the boss. Then you'd like to set up mindfulness in front of you. This is instructions from the Buddha. When he teaches meditation, if you read his instructions, one of the books in the book series is devoted to all of his teachings about meditation. It's consolidated into one book for you. You can see that when he's guiding people in meditation, he talks about setting up mindfulness in front of you. Now you have a better understanding of what mindfulness is. It's awareness of mind. So you're not interested in just plopping down into meditation where you come in off the street you just plop down into meditation. So you might take off your shoes, you might go to the bathroom, you know, release the organs, you know, kind of get your cushions set up and start slowly bringing some awareness to the mind. If you're doing chanting, that's why I do chanting is to bring some awareness to the mind, kind of invigorate the mind before you start doing your meditation. So if you'd like to chant, you're welcome to use that. But if you don't use it, then use something else to develop this awareness of mind before you ease into meditation. Then in terms of time, frequency, and schedule, is it possible for you to permanently meditate at exactly the same time every day? No, right? You know the universal truth of impermanence. It's just not possible. So don't set it up that way because you're just going to sabotage your ability to meditate. So what you would like to do is have what I refer to as anchor points. The Buddha meditated three times a day. He says it right in his teachings, morning, midday and evening. He didn't even have a clock during his lifetime. 2,500 years ago, they hadn't invented watches yet and clocks, so they didn't exist. So if somebody tells you like you have to meditate at 3 a.m. every morning or else you're not going to get to enlightenment, 
you know right away that's not true because it's not possible to meditate at exactly the same time. In the body and the mind doesn't know what time it is, right? It's just a time. It's something that we use to organize our affairs. So if you have kind of a morning time and an evening time, kind of generally around that time. So I know in the morning when I wake up, I will usually use the bathroom and then I start meditating. It's whatever point. And that's going to fluctuate throughout my life. And then in the evening, at some point before I go to sleep, I will be meditating. And it's wise to meditate about 30 minutes or 45 minutes before bedtime. Don't allow your mind to become tired and then meditate because it's a dedicated, active, purposeful training session. So you'd like your mind to be attentive and alert during the meditation. So you'd like to back that up. So if you normally go to sleep at 10 p.m., maybe 9, 9.15, you'd like to start headed towards meditation. But there's no reason why you couldn't meditate at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. You can do it there too. But if you're going to do it around bedtime, be sure your mind's not tired or exhausted by the time you're starting to meditate. It's better to have an attentive and alert mind prior to meditation. And then if you can get a midday somewhere meditation in there, okay, great. If you can get at least to two meditations, that's ideal. What you're going to notice is frequency is more important than duration. So if you have the option of one meditation for 30 minutes or two for 15, do the two for 15. That's going to be more beneficial for you. And then just gradually expand that where you start to work towards 20 minutes and 30 minutes and kind of expanding it a little bit longer. So the frequency is actually more important than the duration. If you're noticing that you're having sleepiness during the meditation, like you're dozing off, you have a couple of options. One, you could just go to sleep because the mind needs sleep. The body's tired. The mind's tired. You need some sleep. Just get some sleep. When you wake up, you can meditate later when your mind's more rested. The other thing you could do is just change positions, change to a seated, a standing or a walking And if you're in the seated position and you're getting sleepy, then maybe switch to a standing or a walking. That's a way that you can handle that. As you're meditating, you might notice physical sensations in the body. You might notice an itch or something like this. This is different than what I was talking about earlier when we were here in the morning and I was talking about the bodily sensations. Those are the bodily sensations associated with discontentedness arising, that you need to have awareness of that heat and the tightening in the chest and the pressure in the skull. That's what I'm talking about with bodily sensations with right mindfulness. These bodily sensations or these physical sensations that I'm talking about now, this is like an itch in the body. You might notice like the body, you feel like you want to itch. Well, if you have that happening in your meditation and you're in meditation, one of the best things you can do is try to not itch it if you can. So if you're in meditation and you notice the itch arise, notice that it's going to arise, it's going to change and it's going to fade away because it's impermanent. That's what impermanent objects do. This itch is not permanent. So if you can kind of notice that itch and then just bring your mind back to the breath and bring your back to the breath, great, wonderful. But if you're in meditation and you're just like, oh, I got an itch, I got an itch, then just go ahead and itch right? And it might be three seconds or five seconds that you just got to itch, right? But then next time, try to elongate it. Try to go eight seconds or 10 or 15 seconds. Eventually, you'll get to the point where you won't have to be constantly itching and you can just go all the way through your meditation. So just elongate it more and more and more as you go through your practice. 
then you might notice visual stimulation during your meditation. While you're having your eyes closed, you can see various colors like green or white or certain vivid imagery or memories that you thought were long in the past, that from this life you could have memories. You can also have memories from previous lives too, while you're in meditation or even outside of meditation. If you're having this visual stimulation, you don't need to go figure out what these things are. I'll I'll share with you what they actually are. So if you see the color green, it doesn't mean that you're going to get rich. Or if you see the color purple, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to get a new boyfriend or a girlfriend or something like that, right? What's happening is as you're training the mind and you're eliminating the pollution out of the mind, it has an effect to the brain. The mind and the brain are two different things. And as you're training the mind, it affects the brain. Researchers and scientists are sharing with us that the physical structures of the brain actually change while you're training your mind. And sometimes you might even hear this going on as you're meditating. I know I did at different times. I could hear the brain physically changing. And at one time I used to have a lot of pressure in the skull. And now I don't have that anymore because the brain is, you know, made its changes that it needed to make. So you might notice these physical changes occurring in the brain. Sight is happening inside the brain. The eye itself is just a lens that brings in light. So when your eyes are closed, you can still see things because the sight is happening inside the brain. So as you're training the mind and these physical structures of the brain are changing, these colors can be seen in different imagery and different memories can come to the mind. So you might actually notice that you have this different sight and these visual stimulation that can occur. So you don't have to go out and and figure out what these things are. It's just the brain that's physically changing. And whenever those things are occurring, you just cut off anything that the mind's focusing on and bring the mind back to the breath. You don't need to indulge in that thought or observe it or try to figure out where it's coming from or any colors or anything like this. Then some people are taught to meditate with external stimulus. What I mean by this is like, incense or candles or a special scent or beads or music playing or things like this. I don't suggest mala beads. Yeah, I don't suggest that you use any of these kinds of things because your mind will get attached to them and your mind will get to the point where you can only meditate if you have that special incense or that special blanket or those special set of beads. Those are the only time your mind will necessarily be able to meditate. Now, if you meditate with these things occasionally, like maybe 10% of the time or something like that, then go ahead. But all you really need to meditate is three things, the body, the mind, and the breath. And you'll have those three things with you now into the rest of your life, the body, the mind, and the breath. And if you have those three things, you can meditate anywhere, anytime. Whereas if it's only those special beads or that special candle that you can meditate with, you can only meditate when you have those things with you. So if you're out in the mountains somewhere in Chiang Mai, you can't meditate. You're three days away from civilization. Or if you're standing in line, like I was talking about, and you'd like to get some meditation in, you can't meditate because your mind's attached to that special candle. So you would like to get to the point where you only need three things to meditate. So if you're currently meditating with any of those kinds of things, just gradually strip it away out of your practice. Or maybe one time you meditate with it, maybe one time without, one time with it, one time without. And then eventually get to the point where it's one time with it, two or three times without, one time with it, two or three times without. And then eventually you get to the point where you're not meditating with it at all. Because if you're meditating with any of this external stimulus and you try to make an abrupt change, your mind doesn't typically like this. The same way of saying that your mind craves permanence, another way to say that is that your mind does not like impermanence. 
The unenlightened mind does not like change. So when you start implementing all these changes in your life, your mind typically doesn't like this. So if you're currently meditating with external stimulus, then you start making a bunch of changes, your mind's probably not going to like it. It's going to reject it. So if you do it slowly, where one day you do the candle, one day don't. One day the mala beads, one day don't, or something like this. Whatever it is that your mind's currently attached to, but then gradually expand it, where one day with it, two days without. One day with it, two days without, or so forth and so on. And you can gradually get to the point where you've stripped away all of these things out of your meditation practice, and you're just meditating with the body, the mind, and the breath. And you can actually move the mind around in different environments. There was a period of time where I noticed my mind, I was meditating primarily at home in my bedroom, and I started going out into temples and parks and different settings. I would move my mind around into different environments so that it wouldn't get used to meditating in just one place. So this is really helpful to you, that whenever you see the mind craving permanence, that you interject some impermanence, that you put in some impermanence into your life. So even something like meditation, Your mind can have craving, desire, attachment to meditate in exactly the same spot or that favorite meditation cushion or that favorite blanket. Your mind can be holding on to it and then you get agitated or irritated when you don't have those things. So you can shed all of that stuff and peel that all away. Any questions on any of this? No? Okay. So here are some words from the Buddha on meditation. I'd like to share these with you so that you understand that what I'm teaching you is directly from the Buddha. He was talking about something else before this, where he was describing how to develop your life practice. And he was talking about five different things that you needed to develop. And then ultimately he gets to here. And he says, having based himself on these five things, the monk should develop further another four things. And this is where he describes just generally the four types of meditation that he taught. The perception of unattractiveness of the body should be developed to abandon lust. This is a meditation to eliminate sexual cravings, reduce them or eliminate them from the mind. Loving kindness should be developed to abandon ill will. This is a meditation that you learn to eliminate anger, hatred, and ill will in the mind. In the lesser versions like frustration, irritation, and annoyance. Mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation should be developed to cut off thoughts. So that's what you're doing in meditation is you're training the mind to cut things off and cut things off and cut things off. Your goal isn't to eliminate your thoughts. Your goal is to get this discipline or control of the mind that when there is a thought, you notice it sooner and sooner with your mindfulness and you develop concentration so that in meditation, anything and everything that comes up, you're cutting it off and cutting it off and cutting it off and bringing your mind back to the breath. But then in daily life, when you go out and about, practicing your mindfulness or your awareness of mind. If you notice any bodily sensations associated with discontentedness arising, that's what you cut off. You cut that off. Or if you're noticing an unwholesome thought come up in the mind, you cut that off. But if you have a wholesome thought in daily life, like you'd like to take your friend to lunch or you'd like to call your mom and say, hello, wish her a happy birthday, happy Mother's Day, do it. That's a wholesome thing. You're not causing any harm. So we're training in one way in meditation, but then in daily life, we're practicing differently. This is the same thing that a professional athlete does. If I was a pole vaulter and I performed in the Olympics, I would go into the gym and I would probably do weight training, cardiovascular training, agility training. And then when I go do my sport 
it looks very different than what I was doing in the gym. In the gym, I was doing one thing and my sport is pole vaulting. So the same thing is true as in meditation, you're exercising the mind and you're training in one way, which is you're training to get discipline of the mind. So you're cultivating mindfulness and concentration. Those are the wholesome qualities that you're cultivating. And the unwholesome quality that you're eliminating in breathing mindfulness meditation is craving desire attachment. That's what you're eliminating. So that's how you're training in meditation to cut off anything that arises, but realize that you will have thoughts. Even an enlightened being has thoughts during meditation. But the difference is in the unenlightened state, you'll have a bombardment of thoughts. You have lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of thoughts. Or you'll have a thought and you'll indulge in it for a period of time. And then you'll realize, oh yeah, that's right. I'm meditating. Let me bring my mind back. Where in the enlightened state, you'll have a thought but you'll know you have had it right away and you'll cut it off and easily bring the mind back to the breath. And then there'll be these long periods of time where the mind will be peaceful and joyful in your meditation, where in the unenlightened state, you were bombarded by thoughts or you indulged in the thought for a period of time. So your goal isn't to eliminate your thoughts. It's to get this discipline of the mind so that you know that you've had a thought, which is your mindfulness, that you practice concentration where you can focus on the breath. And when there is a thought, you're able to easily cut it off and bring the mind back to the breath. That's what you're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation. And that's why the Buddha says mindfulness of breathing should be developed to cut off thoughts. This is giving you the ability to do that, to let them go. And then there's this fourth meditation. He says the perception of impermanence should be developed to eradicate the conceit I am. When one perceives impermanence, the perception of non-self is stabilized. One who perceives non-self eradicates the conceit I am, which is nibbana or enlightenment in this very life. So this is the meditation to realize non-self. That I am is that self-identity in the mind. So there's a meditation to realize non-self here. But you can learn that at a later time. So in this course, being a foundational program, we focus on number three. So that's where we're going to be developing is breathing mindfulness meditation. Here's those same meditations, and I've organized them in such a way that shows you what you're eliminating and shows you what you're cultivating. So we're going to be focusing on breathing mindfulness meditation, where you're working to eliminate the unwholesome quality of craving desire attachment. And you're working to cultivate the wholesome qualities of mindfulness or awareness of mind while training the mind to reside in the present moment with concentration so that you can practice singleness of mind in daily life. And then these are the other meditations that I teach as well based on what the Buddha taught during his lifetime. Here's some more words from the Buddha on meditation. This first phrase, he says, a pot without a stand is easy to tip over. A pot without a stand is easy to tip over. The pot is your mind. The stand is your meditation practice. A mind without a meditation practice is easy to tip over. It's easy to become discontent if you don't have a meditation practice. So this mind that you have, if you don't have a meditation practice to clean it up, you're going to be getting discontent. Just like you clean this body every day, 
You need to clean the mind every day, right? When we were growing up, our parents had to tell us, go take a shower, go take a shower, go brush your teeth, go take a shower. But by the time we got about 10 or 12, we started doing it on our own. We were like, hmm, I kind of like it when my mouth tastes nice. I kind of like feeling fresh. I'm going to start doing this on my own. So we saw the benefit in it. So by the time we were 10 or 12, we naturally made that wise decision to take care of the hygiene of our body. Well, your parents aren't around to push you to meditate. You're going to need to have the energy and enthusiasm and initiative to do it yourself. But as you're doing it, you'll start noticing the benefits in it more and more, and you'll decide wisely to choose to meditate regularly and build up your practice. So you can keep this in mind that when your mind becomes discontent, it's easy to tip over your mind when you don't have a meditation practice. As you develop your meditation practice, it's like this stand of the pot gets wider and wider and wider. Right now, you might have a little dowel rod with your pot kind of teeter-tottering on that dowel rod, but as you develop your meditation practice, it makes this stand wider and wider and wider, and it's harder to tip over the pot. It's harder for the mind to become discontent because you're training it in meditation. These are some words from the Buddha where he's talking about how much of a priority breathing mindfulness meditation is. He says, monks, there is one thing that when developed and cultivated leads exclusively to liberation, to freedom from strong feelings, to elimination, to peace, to direct knowledge or experience, to enlightenment, to nibbana. What is that one thing? Mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation. That is that one thing that when developed and cultivated leads exclusively to liberation, to freedom from strong feelings, to elimination, to peace, to direct knowledge, experience, to enlightenment, to nibbana. So he's not saying you only need one thing to get to enlightenment or else he would have just taught meditation and that's it, right? Instead, what he's saying is this meditation of breathing mindfulness meditation, it has one goal, which is to get to enlightenment. It's kind of like this car that you own, it leads to one thing, which is transportation. This car leads to transportation, but you need more than just a car in your life. You need other things too. You need clothes, you need other things, right? You need food, you need water. So he's sharing with you that this meditation leads to one place, which is this peace to this enlightenment, to freedom from strong feelings. That's what he's describing. So you're going to need this meditation. You can't just meditate your way to enlightenment, but you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment without meditation either. So you'll need to build up your practice. Here is how you would actually conduct your meditation. You focus on the breath, either the sound of the breath coming into the nose or the sensation of air moving over the skin. The breath is the present moment. So that's right now. That's right now, right? So when you're breathing, your mind in meditation is going to want to be in the past or it's going to want to be in the future. It typically isn't interested in being in the present moment. So when your mind's wandering around and you keep bringing it back to the breath and back to the breath and back to the breath, this is training your mind to be in the present moment because your breath is the present moment. It's kind of like if you had a pillar that was deep down into the ground and you had an animal tied to this rope, the animal's going to keep pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. And that rope's going to keep yanking it back and yanking it back and yanking it back. Eventually, this animal's going to get tired 
and it's going to sit down by that post or by that pillar. It's not going to keep pulling anymore. So your mind's going to keep pulling and pulling and pulling. Every single meditation session is going to keep pulling and pulling and pulling. And you keep yanking it back and yanking it back and yanking it back. And over time, your mind's going to give in and just be like, all right, I'm just going to sit here and be peaceful. I'm not going to keep craving anymore, right? So that's why you're going to need to keep pulling it back and pulling it back. So as thoughts arise, that's what you're doing is you're cutting off and letting go, bringing the mind back to the breath. So remember, as I shared, the goal isn't to eliminate your thoughts. It's to train the mind to easily let them go. That's what you're working on is to train the mind to easily let go. This is a, some more words from the Buddha. He says, meditate monks, do not be complacent lest you regret it later. This is my instruction to you. You won't find anywhere in the teachings of the Buddha where he's trying to make you feel guilty or shameful or fearful. He's not pushing you. He's not trying to force you or control you to do anything. This is the closest thing you're ever going to get to the Buddha saying, okay, go meditate. You know, you should meditate, right? So what he's saying is meditate, students. Do not be complacent lest you regret it later. When your mind's angry or you're feeling bored or lonely, or you're frustrated or you're agitated, you're going to regret having not meditated. So he's guiding you to understand that. Don't allow your mind to be complacent, to meditate. So what I say is never give up. Never, ever, ever give up. Because giving up on your meditation practice is saying, okay, I'm just going to be angry for the rest of my life right? Who's interested in that? So you can escape all of these discontent feelings if you don't give up. Now, maybe you go a day or two without meditating at some point, or maybe you even go longer. Maybe you go a week or two. One time I went three years without meditating. It was the worst three years of my life pretty much, right? But I got back into it. So if you go a day or two without meditating, no worries, get right back into it. Even if you go a week or two, okay, get right back into it. As I shared, your enlightenment isn't going to be determined whether you miss meditation today or not. It's going to be determined if you miss it today, what are you going to do next? Are you going to allow that to be three years and five and 10 and 20 years, or are you going to get right back into it? So when your mind becomes complacent, the longer you allow it to be complacent, the harder it is to get back out of that, right? So if you notice that your mind's been complacent for a couple of days or a week or so, if you get back into it, it'll be much easier to do that than if it's been three years. It was really hard getting back into meditation at that point. So when your mind starts being complacent, try to get right back into meditation and don't ever give up. That would be my advice and guidance to you. Do you guys have any questions on meditation? Yes, ma'am. Not about the meditation, but you spoke before, like if you feel bodily uh, sensations, you cut it off. Do you mean by that going to the breath or is there another way to cut it off? In daily life? Yeah, like okay. if you're in a situation that you feel like, ooh, I feel the, the, the symptoms of ang being angry after or getting to the next step. Yeah. So these bodily sensations that you experience prior to discontentedness, that's that early warning system to alert you that, hey, you're about to get angry or frustrated. Even those pleasant feelings, they have bodily sensations associated with it, too, that you're about to get excited or happy or elated. So you would like to cut it off. And as you're training your mind in meditation, you'll be able to internally do this. But over time, that's what you develop. When you first get started, oftentimes what you need to do is redirect the mind. 
So say you're in a conversation with somebody and you're noticing the bodily sensations of anger coming up. You might have to say, you know what? I need to call you back. I'm so sorry. Give me some time. I'll I'll give you a call back as soon as possible. You might need to hang up the phone and go for a walk or go for a bike ride. This is like redirecting your mind. That's how you might need to cut it off and let it go as you're first getting started. But as you get going with your meditation practice and you get better and better at letting go, you'll be able to internally cut it off. But this oftentimes takes quite a while to build up that ability. You can focus on the breath if you like, but ultimately you'll get to the point where you won't need to do that. But in the process of getting there, if you need to redirect the mind or you need to focus on the breath, go for it if that's what you need to do. But ultimately you'll get so good at being able to cut things off and cut it off off that you won't need that. And something I'd like to mention too on this topic, because sometimes when I teach about this, some people say, aren't I repressing my feelings or suppressing them if I cut them off and let them go? You're actually not. What you're doing is you're cutting it off before it even becomes a feeling. So if you cut it off as a bodily sensation, it hasn't even become a feeling yet. So what you're doing is you're rewiring the mind so that it doesn't get those conditioned feelings anymore. So once it becomes a feeling, you can cut it off and let it go from there as well. You're not pushing it down. If you push it down, you're going to feel pressure in your chest. You're going to feel pressure in your skull because you're just burying it and you're suppressing it. But what you're looking to do is get to the point where you can notice the bodily sensations and you can cut it off before it even becomes comes a feeling so that if you keep allowing the mind to get these conditioned feelings, it stays wired to get these conditioned feelings over and over and over again. You'd like to get way ahead of that where the bodily sensations are that early warning system and you're cutting it off there so that your mind never forms the conditioned feeling. But because your mind isn't yet trained, you're going to experience some conditioned feelings from this point. So when you feel that frustration or agitation arising as a feeling, cut it off and let it go there. That's where you might need to redirect the mind and go for a walk, go for a bike ride or something like that. You have a follow up? A little bit. Um, so it, it's it's doing something else. Uh, is that what you say? Like go for a walk or cut it off because it's um, uh, don't get into those bodily uh, sensations and into that feeling later and maybe later into the anger. Is that so, for example, last night I, I really felt that bodily sensation in my heart and I felt like, <sighs> so then distract it and do something else and not focus on it anymore and just leave the food. And you, you mean that? Exactly. Yeah, That's exactly okay. what I mean. Oh, I Sometimes people feel like they need to dwell in the feeling or they need uh-huh. to observe it. They need to yeah. figure it out and all these other things. That's just like staying in a cesspit. Right. If you're in like a dirty bathtub, you're just staying in the dirty water as you're walking towards the bathtub and you see the dirty water. It's like, no, I'm not getting in there. That's what you like to do. Mm -hmm. So when you see that feeling coming, you're like, no, 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 I'm not going to let you do that. So that's why you would like to cut it off and let it go before it ever becomes a feeling. But understand that you will experience conditioned feelings on your way to enlightenment because your mind is not yet trained. So if you miss it as a bodily sensation, try to cut it back as a feeling, try to cut it off there. So say you're watching the news and something's on the news. Maybe someone murdered somebody or somebody maybe raped somebody, or maybe there's a war that broke out or something. And you're starting to notice the frustration arising. 
you can cut it off as a bodily sensation, but maybe you miss it there and you notice the frustration starting to arise. So what you might do is turn off the news, get up and go for a walk. Don't allow the mind to sit there and dwell in that conditioned feeling because the longer you allow the mind to keep firing that way with that frustration, it's just going to keep doing that. So you're trying to say, nope, I'm not going to let you do that. You're not going to get that frustration. I'm going for a walk. And now that will help you to cut off and let go of that arising feeling. And then the mind less and less will try to create this conditioned feeling because it's learned that you're not going to allow it to do that. And when you get rid of all those cravings, desires, attachments, it will no longer experience any discontent feelings because you've retrained the mind. You've essentially rewired it that it's not doing this anymore. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Yeah, so I am wondering, you mentioned a little bit about the pressure in the head and uh, lately, especially after my last uh, meditation retreat. And all the more I meditate, it seems like it's kind of increasing. The, I don't know, and like on the nose, like behind the eyes a little bit and like all over. Is that common? Yeah, so as you're meditating and you're doing this more and more, the physical structures of the brain are changing and as all these changes are happening, you can notice these kinds of things that you can feel an increase in pressure. You can feel pressure behind your eyes. Some people say they feel like their head's expanding, like the size of an elephant, right? This is because all those changes are happening and that's actually a good indication, but those changes are impermanent. Eventually you'll get over the hump and those changes to the brain have occurred and you won't need to experience those anymore. And uh, how long would you say they last? Everybody's different because it depends on how long you're meditating for, you know, what frequency and all these kinds of things. I can tell you for me, it was probably a good six months that I was experiencing those things before I kind of got over the hump and I didn't experience those things anymore. But I was meditating like two, three times a day for 30 minutes or more. So each person is a little bit different depending on what level of pollution they have in their mind and how consistently they're meditating and for what length of time. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Let me see if we have any questions here online. You have a question, Joel? Sure, go ahead. You mentioned about repressing and not feeling the feelings. Um, what do you say when about like about that? Sometimes people say, "Feel it, like let it be. It is what it is. You're feeling like this." Or um, let's say if you have anger, like have a towel. There's even a rage club that people do when. They, there are so many different things, techniques that people use to, whether it's sadness or a crying party or there's a laughter meditation, there's a shaking um, to each his, his, his own, right? Yeah. Um, so about repressing and then about let it be. If you're feeling like that, let it be. Uh, like. What's my question? Um, I can, yeah, I can answer. I know what you're asking. You, you understand what I'm, where I, I'm I, going, I right? Yeah. It's like you hear it all the time. Yeah. Like, oh, you're feeling like this. Just, just be. You're, like, you're human. Like, you just, but yeah. then when we hear all these things, you, mm -hmm. we, we don't want to feel these things. Yeah. So if somebody just allowed the mind to experience these feelings, that's relegating yourself to always experiencing these. You're just always going to be angry at different times. You're always going to be sad. You're always going to be bored. And someone might 
think that that's just the way that the human condition, they're just always going to feel this way. They don't necessarily have the wisdom of how to get to this enlightened mental state where you can eliminate these conditioned feelings and these discontentedness. So in my opinion, it would be very unwise to allow the mind to dwell in these discontent feelings because your mind's just going to stay wired that way to continue to experience those over and over and over again. So you can completely eliminate these discontent feelings because if I gave you a choice, if I said, Joel, press this button and you'll be angry and frustrated the rest of your life or press this button and you'll get to peace and joy for the rest of your life. Which button you're going to press? This one, right? You're going to press this one, right? So it's not a button to press to get to enlightenment, right? But you made your choice. You would like to have peace and joy for the rest of your life. So in order to get to that, that's what the Buddha is teaching you is the way to get to this is to train the mind and rewire it so it no longer experiences these conditioned feelings. So if you keep allowing them to come into the mind and you sit with those conditioned feelings, you look at your sadness, you look at your anger, you look at your frustration, you keep allowing the mind to keep experiencing those feelings over and over and over again, you're going to keep experiencing them for the rest of your life. So what the Buddha teaches you and what I teach as well is to cut them off and let them go so that your mind can eliminate the causes and conditions that are leading to it. The craving, desire, attachment is the causes and conditions that are leading to these discontent feelings. Once the feeling's gone out of the mind, then you can be introspective. You can look inward and be reflective and say, what was I craving that made my mind experience that anger? Wow, I got really angry back there. Ah, I wanted that lane to myself. I thought that lane was mine and it was permanent. And now when somebody cut in front of me, I got angry because I was craving permanence, right? Or Ah, my mom said she was going to come visit me on Saturday and I was really craving that. I was longing, yearning when she called me on Friday and told me she couldn't come. I got angry because I was craving to see mom, right? So you can, in the moment, cut off and let go from the bodily sensations or feeling and so forth. But then afterwards, that's where you would like to look inward and reflect and figure out what were your cravings, desires, attachments that led to this particular discontentedness. Okay. Looks like we have a question here from Joseph online. When we do walking meditation, what exactly should we focus on? Is it the breath? I'm going to be teaching walking meditation tomorrow, Joseph, in the afternoon. So you're welcome to join for that if you'd like. It's at the same time we're going to be doing walking meditation. It's not the breath that you're focusing on. It's actually you're focusing through the eyes at the ground. But I'm going to be teaching you that tomorrow. And then Joseph has another question here. He says, how to let go of the discontentedness if I don't know from where it's coming from? I mean, I feel discontent, but I don't know the reason. The reason is always craving, desire, attachment. You're going to need to learn the Four Noble Truths, which I taught this morning. So you can look on this playlist on YouTube because I see that's where you're at. You'll see the Eightfold Path that I taught this morning. Look at that online class and you'll see that I taught about what's causing your discontentedness. In the moment when you're experiencing discontentedness, that's not the time to figure out what your cravings, desires, attachments are. From there, you're just trying to eliminate this. You're trying to stop this mind from forming the conditioned feeling. And now once the feeling is not in the mind anymore, that's the time to be introspective. That's the time to be reflective and say, what were my cravings, desires, attachments, right? So in the moment, you're just trying to break this process. You're not trying to allow the mind to form that conditioned feeling. 
And then it looks like Joseph has another question. Is the way of letting go out of meditation is the same while in meditation, which is to let go and focus on the breath. You can do it that way outside of meditation, but as I was just sharing, you can redirect the mind. And part of that redirection is sometimes focusing on the breath. You can do it that way. But if you train in meditation consistently over a long-term period, you'll be able to internally cut off these feelings. You'll be able to just be sitting there talking on the phone. You'll feel the frustration arising as a bodily sensation. You'll be able to cut it off in the moment. You won't need to redirect the mind. But as you're getting to that point, you're probably going to need to redirect the mind several times over the course of several months and years. And it depends on how strong the attachment is, right? Like if you just showed up to 7-Eleven because you'd like to buy some ice cream and you're really wanting some ice cream and you look and they're all out of ice cream and you feel the bodily sensation associated with that, you could probably cut that off. No problem. Be like, all right, no big deal. I'm going to let that go. But if it's something more significant, like maybe your mom shows up at the hospital because she was in a bad car accident, this is probably going to be a lot harder for you to cut off because your attachment to mom is much stronger than perhaps to your ice cream, right? But over time, you can eliminate all these cravings, desires, attachments where you won't experience any discontentedness at all. So in daily life, you'd like to redirect the mind to something else. And if that's the breath, fine, you can use the breath, but ultimately you'll be able to internally cut these off and let them go. Let's see if we have any questions on Facebook. Okay, I'm not seeing any there. You guys don't have any here either? Okay, so it's 2.55. We usually finish class at 3 o'clock, and if you guys need to leave, you know you can come and go at any point all throughout the day, but if you need to leave, feel free to leave. Usually what we do is in the afternoon, we do some meditation together, but since we went a little bit longer with the Eightfold Path, now it's almost three o'clock. So I'll stick around and meditate and guide you guys in meditation. If you guys would like to meditate, we'll meditate together. But just so you guys know, you guys are welcome to come and go all throughout the day at any time you like. So if you need to leave now, feel free, but you don't need me to approve you to leave, right? It's your life, your decisions, your results. So if you guys would like to do some meditation, I'll go ahead and guide you guys in a meditation session okay all right so if you guys would like to join with the chanting and remember you can take any position you like seated lying or standing and then after tomorrow you'll know walking position as well Sampu tasa 
นับมวรสภาเกวโตอารตุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสนับมวรสภาเกวโตอารตุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสอิติปิสุมากวาอรหังสัมมาสัมโมตวิจจารณังสัมมโนสขาตโรกาวิตุอนุเตโรปุริสานามาสติสัตตาวามนุสนังโอตภาเควติNot forced or controlled. Just a gradual inhale through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And then, whenever you're ready, exhale out through the nose, breathing in. And out. Breathing in and out. Your breath may not match up with the guidance that I'm providing, and that's okay. This is your practice. So wherever you get to the next inhale, breathing gradually through the nose, experiencing the full breath, and then whenever you're ready, exhale out through the nose. Once the breath is well established, start fixating the mind on the breath. Either the sound of the breath coming into the nose, or the sensation of air moving over the skin into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. 
Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. And out. With the mind fixated on the breath, whenever you notice that it moves off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. No need to observe the thought, label it, judge it, analyze it, or even try to figure out where it's coming from. Whenever you notice that the mind is moved off the breath, Cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in. And out. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of focusing on the breath, cutting off and letting go anytime the mind moves off the breath. You have nowhere to go, there's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in and out.
yourself out of meditation. Tomorrow we will be starting with meditation and chanting, of course, and then we'll be moving into the three poisons, craving, anger, and ignorance. This is where you're going to kind of broaden your understanding and deepen your understanding of what the problems are in the unenlightened mind, as well as the solutions. So, so far you understand craving, desire, attachment as being the primary cause of these discontent feelings, but you're going to notice and learn some things tomorrow that you don't yet know. We're going to go deeper into this to help you understand more of the issue in the unenlightened in mind. And then we're going to also be studying the five precepts, which are going to help you to better understand that moral conduct section of the Eightfold Path. And then in the afternoon, I'm going to be sharing with you walking meditation. So have a very wonderful and lovely rest of your day. It's been nice to spend the day with you and perhaps we'll see you guys tomorrow. Okay. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment. Enlightenment.